Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. Mm-hmm. And what makes a home is more than just house or property. It's the location and the neighborhood. Yes, exactly. This is really, really a smart uh, thing. If you have kids, it's also schools, regards the homes, nearby parks, transportation mm-hmm. options. That's why homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. Yeah, and when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, Mm -hmm. student-to-teacher ratio. This is stuff you need. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's right. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The thing about Conan, Conan's uh, someone who I've known. Boy, I remember when he and Greg Daniels came in. So I've known Conan for a long time. There's some heavy hitter writers on that show. Wow. Yeah. Greg Daniels from The Office and from uh, King of the Hill. Yeah. And Conan and these guys, you know, there's just... You meet a lot of Ivy League guys. Like you went to Arizona City College, right? <laughs> Something. I went to DeVry. What was it? Yeah. Barbizon School yeah, yeah. of Modeling. Yeah. I went to uh, <laughs> San Francisco State, the Gators. It was sort of like uh, Harvard or Yale. almost no name. Yeah. Because you get there and you're like, oh, you went to Harvard and you're dumb like me. And Conan wasn't like that. I mean, Conan doesn't wear one thing. Same with Kevin Nealon. Conan does not wear the fact that he's... Six six on his sleeve, like he's had. There's no sense of him being a big guy. Some big guys are tall guys, yeah. like Greg Holtzman. You got to tell they're sort of carrying. Yeah, they're high. <laughs> Neilan's so tall too. It's embarrassing. I don't even like hanging out with tall people for real. I hate it. I was with Barkley in Arizona because Charles Barkley used to play there, and we went out one. Hey, night. yeah, Charles Barkley. It's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> Sorry, Frank Caliendo. And uh, I go, it's too tall. I felt hilarious guy, but. I can't look. I, I look shrimpy enough. I don't need it. Well, I know what you mean. I mean, going on the Conan O'Brien show, when Conan would come out, he's standing up. Then Andy Richter would stand up. People don't realize Andy is 6'4". Oh, really? Conan's 6'6". Six, so I'm like, you know, I start singing the Munchkin song. <laughs> I come in. I haven't put those little parakeet things. So I sit on top of it. So I'm really high up. <laughs> like a bird. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then so I sit up there and I go... That's on your haunches. If you get on your haunches. Yeah, I go as high as I can. And then, um, and I sit on an Apple box. Apple but yeah, box. Conan's going to be great. He, he's a fun dude to talk to. He's easy. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to talk. Conan is obviously, he has a, a huge podcast. He's a great conversationalist. Uh, we have dinner with him all the time. Pre-COVID. Remember COVID? I know. This podcast may cause COVID. <laughs> Hey, that's the whole idea. You go, I am so busy. It's just because of COVID. I guess I'm going to pop out a little podcast gang. I you know. know. You almost have to do it now. It's so sickening. You have to do it. I met a comedian about six months ago. I won't mention his name, but he didn't have a podcast. Oh, and I go, are you shitting me? Sad. You do not have a podcast and sad. you're in show business? You know, mm. Fallon's going to come on, by the way. I just talked to him. Schneider, Fallon. <laughs> it's going to be great. Fallon yeah. is the you ultimate. better laugh at us. He's Fallon is my, yeah, he's. Oh, we're not doing Fallon yet. but oh, that, Conan. Okay. Conan has produced more funny stuff than almost anyone in the history of American comedy. If you look at all the Team Coco stuff, he, 
he kind of stayed fairly evergreen. He stayed out of the intense politicization of That's true. comedy. So everything he does is evergreen. And my my wife and son are obsessed with his travel shows to the he has point that too. Yeah, he goes around the world. It's oh, he went very to Conan, funny. goes to Cuba and stuff. Yeah, and you they, have to be smart. I would not know what to do over there. They watch him over and over again, and it's pretty cool. Well, here he is, Conan O'Brien. I want to welcome the two uh, comedians, entertainers, <laughs> performers that I've had dinner with the most in the last, say, seven, eight years since I relocated to L.A., Whoa. Conan O'Brien and David Spade. Both. That's a high honor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it was, uh, a lot of it was tedious, I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm going to do the backpedaling that Conan does so well. <laughs> I really, really like you, but, you know, it got a little, little boring. There were Jesus times, Christ. there were gaps in the energy. Sometimes the energy would drop, and uh, you're very restless, David. Um, oh, me? I thought yeah. you were going to say Dana. No, Shit. you get up a lot. Dana's gotten a lot better. Dana yeah, Dana up. used to be very hard to talk to. Kevin Nealon used to be hard to talk to. But I've been working on both of them. And we really? have... I actually, for the first time about a month ago, made eye contact with Kevin Nealon. No. And it was a huge... It just was a... This is something I've been working on since 1988. Step yeah, big wow. step forward. Um, David, you and I don't hang as much. No, um, but that's okay. Oh, but you're I fun nice, you guys together. I say nice things about you all the time, which is rare. Our last dinner together, I think, Our was last dinner Ted was Sarandos. What, that guy runs yep. something. Rob, who else? You, us three, and that was it, right? It was or, us three, and Ted Sarandos joined us. Yes. Uh, um... He kept, kept pitching me shows. I'm like, Ted, I'm trying to eat. <laughs> Just pass the edamame, my God. <laughs> God and, and damn it. He kept Let saying, Dana, whatever you want. He at one point held up one of those giant checks. Uh, yes. and it was already signed. And he said, Just fill in the amount. And Dana was like, I'm eating. Like a publisher's clearinghouse <laughs> yeah. check. I love it. I'm John Lovitz. Oh, wow. and then. We're at that dinner, and right. who do we oh, run into? Right. Yes, we run into Lovitz, and that's I love right. it because Lovitz always does, no matter who he's with. Uh, my favorite thing is he was once standing with this very attractive woman, and I was talking to him, and in front of the woman, he looked at her, and then looked at me and went, jealous. Jealous? Yes. <laughs> jealous. jealous is a top five. It's a top five Lovitz, uh, yeah. but he Shtick. can be standing with... A hobo. He can be standing with a shoeless <laughs> right. hobo, and he often is. And I'll be talking. I'll be like, "Oh, hey, John, how are you?" And he'll go, "Uh, my friend. Uh, he's homeless." And I'll say, "Oh, well, that's uh, that's too bad, John. I'm sorry for." And he'll look at the friend and then look at me and go, "Jealous?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, really, no, I'm he, really not jealous. No. His big move is the he gets new sunglasses or has cool sunglasses, and that sets you up. Nice sunglasses. They come down. And he Sometimes says, he goes, get yeah, to yes. know me. Get to know me. He wanted Shit. that to be his, after after the liar, um, <laughs> he was desperate for a catchphrase. <laughs> and uh, and he, he, no, he really was. He really, of and course. I, know what, I know the catchphrase, yeah. One of them was, uh, he really wanted to say, so you <laughs> should get to know me. Get to know me. And would say, it's okay. Yeah. But um, it was, and then, he had, and then he had another one. Do you remember we, it, Dana? 
Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Why? But so that was stupid. a good one. That was a pretty oh. good one. The whole sketch was built around the guy saying goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. It's really a nothing sketch just to keep getting to that. Yes. And he loved. would... He wanted um, he wanted another catchphrase because I think he saw merchandise and oh, he wanted yeah. he was thinking ahead and he didn't care what sketch you pitched him as long as it got to what's the catchphrase does it get to get to know uh, me or <laughs> goodbye everybody goodbye <laughs> by the way Conan have you been in those read throughs where someone's jamming a catchphrase down your gullet and it's not clicking for thirteen pages and everyone's dead silent yes yeah it. one of my favorite uh, I have. Lots of Saturday Night Live memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. some are the ones that people, you know, most people think, oh, my God, you were there when you 2 played. You were there when, mm-hmm. you know, Ooh. iconic rock bands playing. Neil Young, Springsteen, yeah, Neil, Neil Young, but, yeah. And I've told this to Neil Young. It was the best live performance I ever Ooh. saw on Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Uh, keep on rocking in the free keep world. Keep on rocking in the free world. And yep. I've never seen anything like it. It was he, he, he. It's very hard. Lauren always used to say that uh, TV is the worst way to experience rock music. It's just TV the worst. TV is TV is the worst way to experience rock and roll. But Don't tell our musical. The second guests. worst way yeah. is radio. There's <laughs> <laughs> all important the, formats. The, the third, third. Wor- the third worst way is in, a, in live in an intimate setting. No, Lauren, that's the best. <laughs> that's and if you a have a can one. with a string and it's to a neighbor, it, it it's like really really bad. Yeah, but uh, so anyway, <laughs> he um, he <laughs> said. Uh, but that was, I don't know what Neil Young did, but he transfixed everybody. It was, it was great. Well, but Neil Young are, Garage Band, that, that, yeah. that's I what I got Pops Ashley Simpson, was, anyway. Oh, the, oh, you were there for that. No, I, well, I think I was gone, but I couldn't think. We did have a lot of good bands. I mean, we had Nirvana, we had Pearl yeah. Jam. We, but, you know, people always expect that that would be the memory that you would remember, that you would think of most. Right. Uh, Eric Clapton. And I would think, right. yeah, because you, when you're watching them rehearse, um, you can stand in 8H, which I know looks big on TV, but it's right. much smaller. That's even cooler. And, and when you're standing there at rehearsal and you're watching the greatest musicians uh, of, of the 20th century perform right there, it's quite stunning. It's quite amazing. But I still think read-throughs, that, those are the memories that are with me the most because they contain... Uh, PTSD, you know, the, 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 the oh, yeah, the, the, oh, the, the ones good that, and the bad, the good and the bad. And so, yeah. if you have a sketch that's killing at read through, you're delighted. But I think they say negative impulses affect you more than positive ones. It's like Meaning, gambling, yeah. yeah, and also, yeah, exactly. And also, we all know you don't see the people that are laughing in the crowd. You notice the people that aren't laughing, uh, and um, you guys have never had that, but trust me, it's no fun to have a nice member not laugh. Yeah, let me explain but, it to you. I'll, but, I'll draw it for you. But sitting there, Conan, for, for 45 minutes, say you, you haven't, you're not reading anything, and you know it's coming. Some are killing, some are bombing. It's just very hard to control your energy and your emotions, because all of a sudden, Lauren does, and in, in walks Conan, and then you got to be on... It's well, that's you guys. See, I was not a performer. I was just a writer, so uh, I did not. You were ha- in some, yeah, cameos. I was in, in tiny yeah. things, but but yeah. mostly you guys were the ones that had to be on. So, what the first thing you have to do when you're a writer, and and one of the things that's so nerve wracking about read through, you've been up for two days, you haven't had a shower, 
uh, you're com- you're completely whacked out. You've written this sketch and you 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 desperately want it to work. The first thing you have to do is get to the performers that are in the sketch and tell them how to do the thing you want them to do. You know, you have to mm-hmm. tell them. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you if it's a church lady. I don't have to say boo to you, but <laughs> be sarcastic. If- no, it's no, Glenn but sir- close. You have exactly. to say, "Hey, I'm going to be with 43 other writers that are going to run up to you right now and say yes. how to do their sketch." Yeah, exactly. But you also have to get to David and say, "David, in this one, you're 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 uh, you know Cockney. You're but you're also right. kind of sarcastic." Uh, or or Dana, I've got to get to Dana, and I've got to tell him really quickly. Dana, the idea in this is that you get on an elevator with Sting, and this is kind of how you're doing it. Uh, Mm-hmm. It's that kind of oh, <laughs> I recognize yeah, you. Good, and then, okay, well, how was yeah. Harvard? Then I just yeah. walk away. <laughs> exactly. No, you were very nice. Some people were quite. But can dismissive. I just say for a second that the the time before read through is it's like Grand Central Station. I mean, people mm-hmm. are running around. Yeah. People are trying to get the script together. And especially with a host, Conan, you writing for a host who's got fifty five things they have to read. So you have just maybe what. 25 seconds to give them kind of a hint sometimes. Yeah. And you have to get to them and it's intimidating because sometimes they they are intimidating people. It's George Steinbrenner. You yeah. know, it's a guy who fires people for a living and he's hosting the show that week and you have to run up and say, and then, you're a ballerina <laughs> and in what you do and he just is like, get the hell out of my way. <laughs> By the way, what about read through? Then they look at you and you're across the table shaking your head going, you blew it. Yeah, exactly. Well, then they just look my, <laughs> my, uh, my, the memories that haunt me are if you've got a sketch that all relies on one turn of phrase and mm-hmm. that's the moment where everyone's going to start laughing and then everything else is funny because of that moment. Right. It's, uh, it's like you've lined up. 800 dominoes and what <laughs> happens over. is you hit yeah. the first one and it it falls and it hits the second one but then that one misses the third oh that's uh. the sketch so you know you're three pages in and someone says really because this restaurant sells octopus that's supposed to be the thing no that sets laugh. <laughs> and there's no laugh. Yeah. And you know that Exciting. everything else oh, isn't, rides on that. <laughs> isn't going to work. You just lit the firecracker that's supposed to set off every other firecracker and every other <laughs> missile and it goes yeah. and just, and and just phases out. 17 pages. You kind of overrode it. <laughs> 17, you, the you worst look, possible. You look ahead and Lauren's reading the stage direction and it's silent. And then it's like, you know, they all then march into the mines. They go downstairs. He repeats, this is an octopus oh, store. It? And, yeah, oh. and then he starts to read faster and it faster. Reads really and fast and swallows the words. Yeah. And, and he every, checks out. Everyone in the room hates you. Everybody <laughs> hates you because you've consigned them to 17 minutes of an octopus sketch. <laughs> and the fuse didn't light in the first page and you're screwed. I That's know. what I remember more than anything. Yeah. Sweating. Well, I I I was lucky enough to be on the show long enough that toward the last couple of seasons I never wanted to peek at read through because one time Al Al Franken said to me, 
Hey, you peaked. You peaked at read through. You know, I did it all out at read through, and I never got back no. to that. So then, if you know it's on, if it's a George Senior or Church Lady, then you can kind of cruise into it, not worry about it. We'll it'll, get it'll, it there. We'll get Don't it you there. worry. Bonnie, Bonnie Turner will do something. Yeah, that reminds me. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of something David told me. Uh, once that I never forgot, which is I was there for David's audition for Saturday Night Live. And mm, wow. uh, I remember that night very clearly because I was sitting at a table with Lauren and we were watching different people come up. And apparently, David, you were told you were given advice by Dennis Miller, which yeah. to me sounds like terrible advice. But Dennis, yeah. just before you went on, said, eh, you know, just remember, you, you don't want to. Like you don't want to, you, you don't want to kill too hard at your audition. And I was uh, when I, you know, because it throws a red flag. Because yeah, and I was thinking, no, kill at your audition. <laughs> of course, but, of course, kill, I mean, you kill did, a bit you, for sure. Yeah, but what, what, what does that mean? Don't kill. I would want you know what it was. It was it was Spudley because you know he was like what my favorite comic, and then he was with Brillstein, uh, and they helped me get on this young comedian special which Marcy Klein saw or whatever. Chainer, um, by the way, I hired a truck to back up. I thought it'd be funny, and now it's not. There's beeping. Um, so Marcy, everyone's there, I guess. And then Dennis comes up backstage. How you doing, Spud? And I go, I don't know, obviously shitting my pants. He goes, don't worry, man. You don't want to kill too hard, you know. It's a red flag, you know, some polished road hack. And I go, right. So, so don't do good. And then he like walks away, and I'm like, and they're like, and three, two. And so I go on, I'm like, am I not supposed to, you know? Yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. do that great. I think we all remember it was, it, what what the lesson was, I think, is it, they're going to look at your writing. You don't even really, I, don't, I didn't realize this for a long time until I watched comics and liked them, that I could tell if someone had game when I go, oh, I like the way that joke is structured. I like the words in that one. I like mm -hmm. whatever. And, and it was a little offbeat. I didn't see it coming or it was a bit of a yep. surprise. Yep. Even if it wouldn't work, I go, that guy's good or something. And I think that's what he meant and put it in the worst possible way. But he's <laughs> like, don't kill. And I'm like, I know I want to kill. I got to. That's all you knew that would work. You do well and then yeah. you get hired. I think if someone comes in, this may be different than killing or not killing, but completely formed. I think if things are a little fragmented and not fully formed, then Lauren and the staff, you know, which piece of clay we can play with, we'll develop it, you know, as opposed to being completely locked into your thing. Right. It gives mm -hmm. them a place to. It gives them a place to go. No, I see yeah. what Dennis was trying to say. Yeah. But if I was going out to to audition and the last thing I heard was "Don't kill too yeah. hard," I'd it's be like confused. sabotage or something. You know. Also, I always. Um, but it wasn't. Dennis and I. Uh, subsequently, I've, every time I bump into Dennis or talk to him, he's delightful. But oh yeah, back back in the eighties, I think he. You know, he just had that kind of cha-cha way of going <laughs> at people. Sammy Davis and, Jr. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost, and so he, and I think for some reason, I was, I remember I was quiet at Saturday Night Live for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'd be funny around the writers. And then when the That's performers would, that when the performers yeah. would come around, I'd get real quiet or if Lauren's there, I'd just listen. And I, I didn't shoot my mouth off. I was, I was, uh, but I remembered, and I, and for some reason, maybe, I don't know, Dennis, I just feel like there was a period of time where he just was thought, I don't know about this Conzy guy, you know. So I remember Fucking once, Conzy. I remember one time <laughs> I, he, I said something and we were over by the craft service table that uh, that leads into 8H at where the food is. And yeah. I'm standing there by the food and I'm, I don't know, I'm like, I'm 23, 24 year old 
string bean. And Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis said something and I went, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. I just said something. And he took it the wrong way. He thought that I had taken, uh, that made it, that Mm -hmm. I had dissed him some way. And I'll never Mm -hmm. forget what he said. He went, oh, so Conesy takes a shot at Den Den. And I'm like, what? what? And he Jeez, like, he's Betty Davis now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Kelsey <laughs> took a shot at Denton. It's going to be a rough, fasten your seatbelt. Fasten your seatbelt. Going to be a bumpy ride for Coco in the next Jesus. couple of months with Denton on his ass. And I just thought, no, 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 no. Yeah. I didn't. Well, okay. The ba- you know, the g- guns okay. have been drawn. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. Okay, Corral. Hey, Spunlings, <laughs> don't go out as Dicky Pryor. No one expects <laughs> Sam Kennison. Last, <laughs> land a couple and get out. Okay, that's all it's about. Don't kill too hard because they'll resent you. I'm going to a, a theater. Hey, He's I always dressed to go to a Broadway show. D material. Spud, go out there and eat it. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. To get a beautiful gift, mm-hmm. you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The tricky part, Dana, as you know, yeah, figure, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. I hate to say it, price yep. matters. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's why I recommend for any jewelry purchase, you source it from BlueNile.com. They've been with us for a while. Yeah. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds, David, and find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase. Some of their highest quality stand they have some of the highest quality standards in the industry. Right. And David, whether you want to make a classic statement by gifting a white gold tennis bracelet mm-hmm. <laughs> to Sarah Sherman or, <laughs> or bring Zendaya. Out- or bring out her eyes with sapphire and diamond hoop earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts can help you find the perfect gift. David? They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions like, should I make it a diamond cut or a circle? <laughs> Those are the technical questions. <laughs> I know. Uh, oval. They fit your budget. They'll make sure what you want, they can fit in your budget. Yes, it's very difficult to buy jewelry for someone because, um, you know, it's it's a subjective thing. And the, you'll be guided with the, this company's going to help you make the right choice. You right. give them a little information and they'll go, Sapphire. It's hard to roll down to your local strip mall and go, yeah, we're a jewelry store and we sell trucker hats. It's like, that's yeah. not what you want. Or sometimes they have a small jewelry kiosk inside a Denny's restaurant and it's like <laughs> they're flipping hot cakes and I'm trying to find my loved ones. Yeah. yeah, no thank you. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. Oh, that's nice. So you can't lose. No, mm-hmm. just in case you got 30 day returns mm-hmm. shop blue nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler go to blue today that's blue this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, I like that I explained to the guy from Harvard what uh, Dennis meant. I feel bad about that now. Um, the Conan, guy from thank Harvard, you for letting is that me. Conan? Yeah, I kind of would love that to what I'm reduced to, to this day. I thought it was day. Yale. <laughs> <laughs> Conan, did you notice in read-throughs, like, because I went to community college, San Francisco State, and mm-hmm. once in a while, it'd be a Jack Handy sketch or something, and I would mispronounce a word, and right. I would hear little pockets, Yale, yeah, Brown, yeah, Cornell, Harvard, just <laughs> little giggles. Probably that didn't happen, but I definitely felt my lack of education. Like, I can talk to you about, you know, the Third Reich or the, you know, French Revolution, and it does seem like people who are highly mm-hmm. educated have a bigger palate. No, I think that's in your head. <laughs> ah. I, I really I really do think that's in your head. Well, I, I think I don't I'm as think... smart as them. He never talks to educated. me about that, Conan. He talks to me about the, the good dumb stuff so I can understand it. That's right. Well, you call it the third rich. You didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's I know one all of those about the third things, Conan, that I, I probably perceived once and didn't happen again. But. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is uh, I, I, if I could change one thing about you know, uh, if I could change one thing, it would be that nobody knew where I went to college because you guys know me. I'm, I'm, I don't think that's where my sense of humor comes from. I think I'm, uh, and, and I think there were times when people were like, oh, well, you know, Harvard guy. <laughs> Christ uh, sakes. Christ I'm sakes. Right. Harvard, yeah, Harvard guy over here. And you'd think, well, okay, the, it's not Hogwarts. It's not a magical place. It's a school. And I met some really smart people there. I also met some pretty dumb people there. Well, I think you it's know. because uh, you were president of the National Lampoon. Harvard. Harvard oh. Lampoon. Yeah. Yeah. Harvard National Lampoon. And you were elected two years in a row. I saw some notes about that. So I think it wasn't just the Harvard. It was that <laughs> that embedded yes, well, it. Yeah, I was. But I, you know, I don't consider you wearing your intellect on your sleeve at all. No, that, I try to. I, I do my best to, to hide it. It's it's. Something what about that, that sweatshirt that said, "I'm the best of the best"? Was I that thought a gift? that was. I thought that was ironic. <laughs> uh, and I. Think what about I, that sweatshirt that said, "Got Mensa"? <laughs> that you used to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I took a Mensa test, by the way, because my stepdad thought I was so smart, and I got the results. He goes, "You know what? This is stupid." He crumpled it up. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I had. I, you know what? I think the mistake I made is I when, I sh- when, I, when I showed up at Saturday Night Live, I was wearing uh, the mortarboard on your head that you wear at graduation. And, <laughs> and I walked around with a tassel and a diploma. What the fuck's and- a mortarboard? That's um, the thing that you wear on your head at graduation. The flat thing? You know, that, yes. I didn't know it was called a mortarboard. Jesus Christ. Guys, you, school had, you had a semester at Arizona State Fucking Community the College. Fucking mortarboard <laughs> diaries. You did go to Hargorts. David, did you go to college at all, <laughs> Mr. Spade? In my, I, you know what, Dana? Dude, I have I'm 14 credits in anthropology. <laughs> yeah, I went to Scottsdale Community. Which is basically yeah, the high school plus, yeah, yeah. and the, the artichokes. And then I went to Arizona State. By the way, Scottsdale was like my warm up for ASU, and I go, I'll just cruise through this. And then I was like, wait, this is hard. Now I got to go to a fucking ASU after this. Uh, this is supposed to be the layup. And then I got to ASU, mm-hmm. and I was in a fraternity. And I have to say, and all the fraternity guys get mad at me, but I just don't think fraternities are a good idea in general. It was oh no, they're evil. It was ninety percent hazing and. Pouring paprika on my head and spray painting. Also, also, David, uh, you're a you're a fragile flower. Fragile. I I think of them. 
Dandelion. Making you do a keg stand and drink six quarts of vodka, and I think you would die immediately. I think you would. I think you would die the second they they had you do anything. I can't believe they you would survived use that. you as a prop to beat up the captain of the football team. <laughs> I know that Dana and Conan know I'm a fragile dandelion, and then I go, well, at least it's within my tight friend group. And then I realize, like, I come off the world like some fucking hard ass athlete. But the really the world just kind of knows I am. I sit funny on Ellen. They're like right away going, what, what's happening? On your haunches. So, yeah, yeah, I sit on my knees. Yeah, my you sit on your knees. Uh, at yeah. the restaurant we were at, uh, yeah. which, what, we, you you were sitting on your knees a lot and, and you'd get up and you'd walk around. Stretch, your, stretch out. Yeah. You were on a yeah. lot. Of, you were doing a lot of cocaine at the restaurant. Can I ask you guys a question? <laughs> yeah. I had cocaine mixed with um, the second booster. Um, no, I did kidding. not do well that's with cocaine. Everyone. I did it oh, once. Oh, Dana, that's too bad. Then what I happened? burst into tears like a half hour later. Then I did it the second time, drove to the comedy <laughs> club <laughs> and said, what, they all hate me. All the other, everyone hates me. And I drove back home. That was, Jeez, so I only did it twice. Yeah. I, I look at both of you and I'm going to include myself in this. I'm going to look at all three of us because I never did it. And I always just knew I am not the personality type. That needs to be artificially revved up. Yeah, that you want to. You need to calm down. <laughs> I, I yeah. saw a doctor. Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys yeah. saw me at SNL, yeah. and I was always grinding my hands together, practically starting a fire with uh, with my knuckles. Uh, and, and the Conan show, you would you would or you know late night, you would ride a bicycle like this. to get your yeah yeah yeah, and I would grind I would grind my hands yeah. together and grind my teeth and shatter them because yeah. I was Ugh. so. Uh, uptight and the last thing in the world no one's ever said you know what you need man you need some cocaine <laughs> no one's ever said that to me and conan yeah uh, uh just to for sure interrupt you the um sorry we're new at this but when i was in community college this comedian i like gave me a few bumps you know yeah i'm using street lingo right now cocaine yeah. lines yeah yeah he bumped mm -hmm. me up a little bit mm -hmm. a little sniffy jiffy a little power flower and so i'd do it and then i liked it I never did it before stage, but I liked it. And then I thought he did. It was cool. And I was a little bit of a Count Gacula there for a while. And then I got when I, and then I slowed down in college. But when I got to SNL, the only time I should be doing it, because I had to stay up all night, I never did it once. And I thought, I always regret that. No, I'm kidding. But I always thought, <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be the time to be like, because I'd be like, yawn. I, I, I would get myself, I'd make myself get up at 930 just because I thought it was so weird to stay up all night every night. I wasn't used to it. And I'm like, this is so weird to be in New York. And I, I wanted some semblance of anything normal. And it was very hard to go in. And like, I don't think people at home know. They always hear you write, you know, Tuesday night, all night. But I would, you're allowed to go in at noon and write. It just, no one really does it. No, and that, I would that, write. that is a completely messed up thing. Uh, and I've asked, I've interviewed, you know, current cast members. And I'll say, do you really still, that thing. Where you come in on Tuesday and everyone stays up until Wednesday night. You don't still do that, do you? And they'll say, yeah, it's kind of still there. And there are all these rumors that it started after, it, that it started in the 70s. And obviously, it hasn't changed at all. And people were doing cocaine. Now, the group that I came in with, you know, Greg Daniels and Bob Odenkirk and Robert Smigel, we were all like Jesus. getting, we were all getting our cholesterol checked. You know, we weren't, we weren't. We weren't guys that were, hey, how do we score something? No, we weren't partying either. I <laughs> no, mean. <laughs> none of us. None of us were. And 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 you know, clearly, uh, there are famous cast members that did, but for the most part, it was a very 
I remember going into Tom Davis's office once and it, at like one o'clock in the afternoon and he God had a bottle. He, yeah, got a, a hilarious guy and sweet wonderfully man. sweet guy. Yeah. But he had a, a bottle of red wine on his uh, desk and he was drinking red wine at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember being scandalized, you know, yeah. and oh. red wine is nothing. Wow. You know, and I was like, what? It was, it was <laughs> like Mad Men, if you know now, the reference. Here. Just now, let's yeah. have a little so <laughs> Tom Collins or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But I don't, I don't. 10 a.m. We were not those people, but we still stayed up for whatever it was, 35 hours in a row because <laughs> that was ingrained. It had been institutionalized in 75. That meant you care. That means you're working hard. Schneider right. loved it. Schneider would stay up and he'd wear his boxers, and I'd go, "That's enough." But let me let me ask you a question, Conan. Or do you, do you have a story there, David? Sorry. No, just that we would write, and I would go home because I wanted to. And you know, Conan, I don't think people know. Also, when you're writing on a legal pad, you can't. The girls were like madmen. They were typing up four girls in a room. Remember Claire and everyone? They yep, sure. Type up, yep, and a sketch. And I didn't know how to write sketch format, so I'd write it out with this guy says this, and do it as close as I could. And put a little stage direction. And then I'd go home and then I'd finish it or something and I'd have to drive a cab back to hand it in. Then I cab back home to sleep mm -hmm. two hours and come back. It was such a weird process, but to, I couldn't email stuff in. That would have been fucking great. And then they would do it for me and sometimes they would do it a little wrong, you know, because you want to go over it one more time, but you have to drive in to go over it again before it went in the packet for read through. And sometimes a little teensy mistake like that would, like you said, screw everything up. Can, uh, let me ask Conan a question. I just want, because yeah. you were there as yeah. a writer. To me, as a cast member going through, I remember on Tuesday early evening, the writers are hanging out in the writer's room. A lot of food's being ordered yeah. and a lot of talk about sports, anything but the, the task at <laughs> hand. Anything yes. but, anything right. but. Anything and then but, there's yeah. this hours and hours of just subconscious work, I guess, and pressure. Because sometimes I would leave as a baby at 3 a.m. And you guys would yeah. still be there leaning back in your chairs, picking on some, you know, tacos or whatever. And then I, I find out later they got done. But I mean, what, what, I mean, did, what did you think about that six hours Tuesday evening that was oh, kind I, of- Oh, those just, are the, you know, those are the- Dark times. I, I I would get very very like I got uh, nothing. Nothing's happening. I got nothing, and I uh, I shouldn't be doing this for a living. And I'm a fro <laughs> uh, seriously. I I, uh, I I would have some kind of. I would say at least um, on any second. You know, not every week. Uh, every Tuesday night that I was writing, but I'd say at least fifty percent of them. I'd have a profound collapse mental collapse because what <laughs> oh happens God. is you hear people everyone else has a good idea yeah. and you hear franken laughing <laughs> and you hear a big gales of laughter coming from other rooms and i re i remember very much you know sometimes uh thinking yeah this isn't what i'm supposed to do i don't know what i'm supposed to do um and then you snap out of it but uh, a lot of waiting for the commissary to open so you could get breakfast and it would open at like seven o'clock in the morning. And that's when Yuck. you could go and get, uh, you know, a bagel with some bacon on it and drink a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, it was really. Uh, it but was Conan, do you ever say like, I mean, in, in your head, like I used to think, I don't think of it then, but what are the chances you're going to think of a bit every week, a sketch that everyone will talk about? It's just such a. 
impossibility. Sometimes I would jump on with someone that had a good idea and they needed help and I will write it with you just to get my name on something because I wanted to feel useful there, not get fired, but I would blank out. I'd also hear Smigel and Sandler cracking up in the office next to mine. You know, it was connected mm-hmm. to mine. I'd be like, fuck, I'm so jealous. They're killing it. Sandler They've was a guy who most people when they show up um, are somewhat nervous. Uh, and I remember... You know, I remember David, you like walking office to office and saying, "Hey guys, you know what? Do you, what are you guys working on?" I and I remembered, I remembered very well uh, Chris Rock because he showed up when I was there, and when he would first, he was very quiet. He's and very he, sweet guy. Like very, uh, yeah, very sweet, very quiet, and mm-hmm. not the Chris Rock that on stage that yeah. people see on stage. Who is the most confident man in the world? He's kind of asking, what do you, I don't know, what are you guys working on? Yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that was the energy people had. Sandler, the second he showed up, was just so happy and enthusiastic about everything. And he'd be like, oh, let's get milkshakes. Let's get milkshakes. Yeah. You know, and he would be doing bits and just laughing his ass off. And I thought he's... He's so comfortable He's immediately. He's kind of confident about it, yeah. Yeah, he was quick. so confident that he was, I think he was one of those guys who was like, I'm going to be a big star and I, let's get started. This is going to be fun. It's almost like it wasn't even a possibility that he wouldn't be because every, also everything was clicking so fast. Like people, Smigel, Downey, me, you guys, we'd all laugh at what he's doing and it was so different and off what I would think about in my own head that I was like, wow, that's cool. He's got this whole persona and then he throw they throw it into Iraqi Pete or they throw it into some bit you know yeah, 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 and you'd yeah. see pieces of it and then you go shit they're buying it they're buying it. they're buying it more and more and he just go I'm gonna write an update I'm gonna write a song I'm gonna write another update and just keep going and they were working there yeah. but he did have a period where there was uh, I, I think he was inevitable and really confident but he did have a period where he was uh I I don't not sure if I remember it correctly but I think at one point Lauren will kind of feel someone out dana adam what would you you do think that's going to do because when adam first came out with the it didn't always kill <laughs> right. and i remember one time in the hallway near the makeup room i had an office over there on 8h and i came out in the hallway and he was leaning back against the and it, this was not normal adam he looked emotional and almost like he was gonna cry yeah because his sketch had gotten cut and um as I remembered, I gave him a pep talk. <laughs> you never forgot yeah. that. But uh, he he sure. did, um, he was but 23 when he got the show. But also remember, I don't think uh, people at the network weren't, I don't think, they yeah. weren't thrilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's they didn't another quite thing. Get it yet. Yeah, what happens is that stuff, there's revisionist history. You know, what happens, you know, later yeah. on, now everybody loves Norm, but they really didn't. You know, he, uh, they, they really, there was a lot of, there was a, yeah, he got fired and, and, and Adam, uh, there were people at the network that really weren't supportive of Adam. Didn't get him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Lauren was probably get some pressure. Like what's with the Adam guy. And you think it's just so funny how later on to anyone listening right now, everything seems inevitable. inevitable. Yeah. Everything seems you know, it's the way people read history. They read history and they think, "Yeah, uh, well, of course, Franklin Roosevelt became president because mm. he's Franklin Roosevelt. And mm. of course, yeah. he, be- he was president like four times. No, it, it's not inevitable. It can go a million different ways. And at the time, there are a lot of people, uh, you know, who are later on, you know, 
I mean, I remember uh, Farley, I was there when he was waiting outside Lauren's office to get his interview and Lauren mm-hmm. had him waiting for like two days. And I was, <laughs> I was just talking to Farley Very and joking, Lord. doing bits with them. And I, at one point I took him around the, the, I took him around, um, 8-H and I was pretending that I was a big shot and saying like, (laughs) and so there'd be a crane that was already going up and I'd be like, Joe, get that crane up. And the crane would be going up anyway. (laughs) And um, I was goofing around with Farley and and he was, he was was laughing so hard. He was such a uh, immediately great, sweet guy. But, you know, I think he was, when he first came on, he was nervous. And I remembered it really turning around when uh, I think uh, Jim Downey wrote the Chippendale sketch. And oh, yeah. suddenly it's, Jeez. oh, he's... With Patrick Swayze. With and Patrick it, yeah. Swayze. Yeah. And it's this... That was one of the top ever, knowing right off the bat, like standing 10 feet away going, um, this is like one for the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is... this is, uh, um, And you knew just, okay, this is... I want to be on the floor when that thing happens because uh, yeah. that's going to be a tsunami. To be a big guy like Chris was at that point, and he was so athletic and so yeah. physical, and to see a, a guy, his weight move like that, and so it it just blew the roof off. You know, back to misunderstanding Sandler for a second. I remember Sandy Warnick, his manager at the time, and she, yeah. he, he said, uh, he's such a good-looking kid. I don't know why he does all that goofy stuff. <laughs> you know, so you're right. Things can- he did have the girls yeah. right away. But you know what's interesting about yes. about yeah. Adam? Adam said this to me once. I mean, they liked him. Yes. One of the things that um, fascinated me. He pulled me aside. He said, "Conan, I do you win." Oh, That means I like you. Let's get lunch. It's so funny because he lives right up the street, and he's he would he'd come by my he comes by my house and. You know, he'll literally, he'll shout outside the house, Coney, Coney, <laughs> and he's got the best yell voice too. But I guess yeah. one of the things that I never, he said this to me and it really fascinated me. I asked him like who his idol was at the time. And I thought it was going to be a comedy person. And he looked at me and he said, James Kahn. And I was like, James Kahn, like <laughs> James Kahn, the the you know, Sonny the and Godfather. Yeah. yeah. And then I saw it, like, which is Adam has that, he he can channel that. He has that, uh, and, and you know from his dramatic huh. roles, he can kill it. He can lock eyes with somebody. Uh, he can sell it. He can, he has that energy. Um, he has a tough he guy has a energy tough guy, too. He has a like, tough guy energy. And definitely. he's, so he's doing all this stuff that like I can kind of see what Sandy Wernick's talking about, which is he probably thought, here's this good looking kid with real acting chops. Mm-hmm. And why is he dressed like a baby going, I don't, you know, and, yeah. and it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but Adam knew what he was doing. I remember Adam when he was not, he'd not done a movie yet. He was starting to do well in the show. And I remember him saying, yeah, I love Smigel. I'm going to put him in all my movies. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, oh, he already, wow, you, <laughs> all your movies, how many? True. Oh, about 70. You know, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. But Conan, you were saying like when you see him in the hallway standing there, we've all been there where you go, you're newer and everything hasn't clicked for him yet. And he's probably in his head going, what am I doing? Am I any good? Like, is this shit too weird? What, everybody, am I as yeah, good as these guys? Everybody, everybody yeah. has that... Um, I think 
I think about this sometimes with Saturday Night Live today, which is uh, I'm always grateful that I that things happen to me when they happen to me. Um, you know, when you think about it, our staff, especially when I first showed up, the staff we were working with was really small. You know, mm-hmm. by today's standards, it was when I first showed up. It's it's uh, there's there's like and I've seen group pictures of the staff, and it's. Dana, Phil, you know, Kevin, uh, Jan, Nora, Victoria. There's like, there's like seven of you and, um, and, and John Lovitz. And you think it really does look like the cast of Gilligan's Island. And that was the entire cast. And Mm -hmm. I think in Mm -hmm. a way, everybody was in almost everything because they had to be. Yeah. You were constantly in the show. And now I am, uh, always, you know, hearing about, okay, there's, you know, Cecily Strong, Bowen Yanks, you'd be like, great, great, I got it. But then you realize there's, there's 35 other people. Um, And that with that many staff, I think it would be hard. I think it's maybe must be more challenging for the writers. And can you imagine being on that staff now uh, and thinking, how do I get on the air? And also they have guest stars now. We never... We would do that once in a blue moon, but... Dan um, Aykroyd came yeah. in and did yeah. Bob Dole, and that was like a big thing. I would have been <laughs> yeah. livid as a cast member. Just think, Cohen, when we were there, we were sort of overlapping with Dana and Dennis and Lovitz yeah. and, um, when we all came in, and it was pretty full then. And also Franken was available, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people that do stuff. And it's hard to... Um, I don't even know what to talk <laughs> Well, no, it's, hard, it's harder... It's hard to pop, and it's like I think if you're playing on a basketball yeah. game and the and there's fi- and there's 35 benches and 12 players on each bench, uh, you know your chances of getting in the game are 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 I would think be be much tougher. And you you so, can't beat down the the innate fear and terror and uncomfortableness of doing that show unless you get on air. It's very hard to get. Is how do you try not to try? And that's. So it's it took it took me eighty shows I think to get right. out of my head you know right and I think that's why uh, and and clearly they keep finding really great talented people uh, but I would think it would be so much harder if you haven't found your foothold right away if you haven't found your niche right away I, I would imagine it being. I, I I would feel for a cast member now because I think, man, that's a that's a challenge to pop. You have to have a clear niche. Like if we have a, I was sort of sarcastic, you know, Chris was this, Adam was doing this. So at least you have that. Then you sort of go, oh, I'm not just a one trick pony. Anyway, long story short, I am. But at, at, at the time, <laughs> I wasn't. So was Johnny Carson. I was like, I can do other <laughs> stuff. And then they go, okay, what? And I go, I don't know. But. Uh, maybe for the writers it might be easier because you have more people to cast, but you're, it's also hard in a new world to say, can you, can Dana play a girl? No, you can't do that. Or <laughs> if you're Asian, if you're Korean, are you allowed to play Japanese? Like there's so many, there's a new world where things are offensive and on a show like SNL, are you still allowed to be goofy and do impressions, and they must have one more. <laughs> There's stuff I, I I was involved in that could never be on today. I don't even want to mention it, but it was uh, the, the 
this this sketch at one point we had Candace Bergon Bergen on and she kind of talked about how it was you know maybe maybe a little not politically correct but do you guys think that like Saturday Night Live today it's it's easy to get into grumpy old man itis like oh we did it this way because I remember running into Sid Caesar in an airport and I could tell he was sort of bitter that it's not you know SNL is not that good we did it better does art is art always just built for its time. I mean, my father just hated the Beatles and then loved them later. It's just kind of an interesting right. idea of like, is art always Andy Warhol in 1962 or whatever? Is Saturday Night Live is exactly where it's supposed to be culturally or do you have any issues with it? I don't have, I don't, I made a promise to myself a long Not time that, ago. judging. That to, to, well, I made a promise that, that there are things I'm going to get and things I'm not going to get, but that, uh, be happy. I'm very, for, I'm very happy that I got to do what I got to do at the time that I got to do it. Mm -hmm. And I make a real effort. There are some things I don't understand or there'll be something that people really love that doesn't click with me. But I think for the most part, if something's getting a lot of likes, uh, if something's getting a lot of traction online and I look it up and it's something from uh, uh, you know, a recent Saturday Night Live. I look it up, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's you know Chris Red doing Kanye, and I'll be like, oh, that's really funny. That is, uh, if something's getting traction, it's usually for a reason. And and yes, there's a True. lot that's different about that can be different about the show now. But I do very much try and remind myself that. It's not worse or better. It's just different. It's just a That's completely different time. Steve Higgins told me that, uh, I don't know if, it, he just said that Lauren wrote the Constitution. This is his words. And then it sort of evolves. It's a living document in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so today, uh, it it is what it is. But you're right. I think funny is still funny. You know what's so funny, no. though? And now The thing now that I <laughs> totally was not happening when I was there uh-huh. <laughs> this business of writers dating movie stars and and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, where and were marrying you? them. And I just think about, wouldn't that be really funny if I can picture me and Greg Daniels and Robert Smigel in 1989 if... Uh, with Candy yeah, yeah, if, uh, if I, you know, if I was walking around <laughs> and I, you know, I... I <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. I had, I had Madonna on my arm and I was like, guys, guys, I, you know, I, I, please let me in the restaurant. Where, you know, and people are like, Conan, Conan, this way, Madonna, you know, and it's just like, what yeah. are you, what are you, it's so funny. And I'm picturing, I'm, you know, I'm, she's I'm, bragging I'm, about a cold opening you wrote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, 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 you know, nerdy me and nerdy Greg Daniels. And he's got, uh, you know, he's got uh, Melanie Griffith on his arm and he's like, please, please move aside. You know, <laughs> I remember, uh. I, I think it was for the movie Sex, Lives, and Videotape. I think Andy McDowell was on the show. Ooh. And she's, oh, I you heard know, this just, one. Yeah. She's so gorgeous. And it was my birthday. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know how she knew. But I was back in my office grinding away. And all of a sudden, the door opened. And she walked in with a grinding cake. Grinding with, away? With, with, <laughs> with, with, yeah. With <laughs> she walked in with a cake with candles on it and sang Happy Birthday and, like, gave me a hug. And I... My soul left my body and never came back. I'm soulless. Uh, I have I've never had my I've never I've never had a soul in my I know. body. Since we didn't that do moment. drugs. We didn't have women. We just were that, there and all also, night. Also, that's my racy story. Is that Andy McDowell very sweetly 
blew out the birthday candles on my cake and and uh, wasn't that a nice memory? I'm not. I, I wasn't sleeping with anyone famous. I I wasn't you know I wasn't being yeah. hounded by the paparazzi. Uh, so that's a world. That's the way that Sign Out Life has changed. Where you know the the third assistant director on the show is uh, is is going out. You know with uh, you know Megan the Stallion. But we, so we, had, like, we had our work in front of us, Megan and then the we Stallion, were we were behind the facade. People. But it seems to me that fame is talent now. Like I, you can be critical or judgmental. This this person's advocating fame or procuring fame, but it, it's its own talent and it's its own power. I, I don't know. It's but that right. would make. I mean, I don't want to judge it. It just seems like it's. I think you just did. Doodaloo. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, about the new changes, they, they can miss miss a lot of shows. Like Conan, you weren't allowed to miss shows. No one's allowed to miss anything. Yeah. This is a grumpy old man thing for sure. But I was jealous that I found out, you know, people would take huge chunks of time off if they felt like, like it. it. They just or they could shoot like a movie or something. Well, that was one of the anything, things that's kind yeah. of mind boggling now is the show starts in October of 75 and immediately Chevy Chase becomes the biggest star in America. And like a year later, he says, well, it's either continue doing Saturday Night Live or make a movie. I guess I got to go make this movie. So goodbye, Saturday Night Live. And you Mm -hmm. think, no, that's not what you, now it's a different world. Now it's go make your movie and then come back. Uh, you can have you can you can do both and, and do commercials. It's, yes, it's incredible. And, <laughs> exactly. So so I think there was a um, there was clearly a different. The, I almost think the rules were different, or people people oh, didn't. I couldn't do a Super Bowl commercial when I was th- two three years in. They just said no. I didn't even know they could, but that was part were of. Were you uh, were you offered one, or you asked to do a Super Bowl commercial, and and, and all the com- all no, the, I had some all good ideas for it. No, <laughs> I had a good idea. Your agent called. That's gonna be funny if I was in one. You kept- <laughs> no, I got a diet Pepsi, and uh, and it was good money. Obviously, I was going to say I didn't know what you made when you started. I think I got nine hundred a week to write, and uh, and the Pepsi commercial I think was two hundred fifty grand, and and then I just trickled back down to me. They say, that's not what we do or something. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not what we, we do. You got a mouse we in don't your make money uh, for working six hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a, it was a real crusher because I wasn't getting on much. I didn't even know if I had a future there. And I thought, wow, at least I'll get one click off this. And, uh, Luckily, I hung in there, and I mean, luckily, I stayed and worked, and ultimately made some money. But, but that was a real. We kick didn't in the do it. I was offered side. a giant Taco Bell thing right as I came I off. I was SNL. offered a giant taco one. So, and I asked Conan, "Should I do the Taco Bell commercial?" I told him the number. And he said, "Absolutely not. I'll never forget that." Conan killed it. Yeah, I had that kind of power back then. Don't you uh, love it when people say, this is what you said? I had a guy do stuff I said in 1979. <laughs> and I remember you right. said that you were going there. And then I remember, I was like, 45 years ago, you get to decide what I said? You know, it's so funny. Uh, what happens once you become a known person is that other people add you into stories that you weren't in in the first place because yeah. it makes it a better story. Funny. So I went back to a, <laughs> I went back to, I went back to a reunion once at my high school. And this guy there was like, hey, Conan, you know, remember, you know, back in the, back, you know. <laughs> I we remember had some, with you, yeah. And he was like, we had some crazy times. And I was like, I, I was thinking, I don't even know who this guy is. And then, <laughs> and then he said, uh, hey, remember the time you and I broke into Stephen's Market? 
We broke into Stevens Market and we stole all those beers, but the cops showed up, so we went out the back. And you went left and I went right and I got nabbed. And you took the beers, you fucker. <laughs> but I didn't squeal on you. <laughs> You and you know what? Out. I didn't drink <laughs> until I was like 28. <laughs> I've never committed a crime in my life. I didn't break into a liquor store. You know, uh, you know like, that story's like, on heavy no, no. rotation. And, but the too. thing is, what happens after a while is you get tired saying no. You did that with someone else, but it's been a lot of years mm-hmm. and a lot of beers since then. <laughs> and and then years and yeah, beers. And so you added my autobiography. You added me in, and I started to think, gee, that I don't know. It's made me read history differently. Like when I read a history book yeah. now, and oh, they say, yeah. oh, you know, Lincoln. I remember a firsthand account. I remember Lincoln once. I said to him, you know, something, and he said, "What's that?" And he knocked me right on my ass. And then I stood up and I knocked him on his ass. And he said, you're a better man than I. And I think, (laughs) I don't think any of that happened. I think you just added Abraham Lincoln to your story. I was at a restaurant early 1980s. I saw the guy doing that to Jimmy Stewart. And I could tell that Jimmy Stewart was getting really impatient. And remember that time, you know, in high school, we did this call, the same old thing. Uh And Stewart Uh stood up and said, I I don't understand a fucking word you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? No, I just did that so I could get to Stuart Swank. Oh, come on. Yeah, that was a good one. A good scenario, though. I wanted to believe that was true. I wanted to believe it. I set you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. By the, way, by the way, Conan was nice to me when Conan I got there. Nice. Conan, I have to make sure I tell everybody. No, Conan, I'm sure you can be a prick. I don't see it. <laughs> Conan's uh, a sensitive maybe. person. <laughs> I was there, and Conan said, as a hazing, you know, this was right before Conan dyed his hair red. He said, go out and get me some hair dye. <laughs> and you, Sandler, and Schneider. And uh, by the way, Conan, did you ever, uh, does Jack, this is a weird question, does Jack Handy ever collaborate with the other writers? Or he always wrote it by himself. I think he maybe collaborated somewhat, but Jack Handy was stunning. Because he could go off. Talk about he, nice yeah, guys. Very what a nice genius guy, but also nice um, 
I always envied him because he didn't need anybody else, you know? And, and he would go in his room, nicest guy, and then you and like then you'd hear like typing, and then he'd come out and Ching. he'd say, Well, good night, everybody, and would say, Ching. All right, sucker, we're gonna be here for another nine hours. <laughs> and and See it you know, and, and the next morning, his sketch is the funniest thing. It his sketches yeah. killed, I would say, ninety-five percent of the time. And it's it was an unreal slugging percentage. I would be baffled because I'm already just a newer writer learning how to write sketches, trying not to reek up read through. And then knowing the level I, you know, when I look back of all you guys who was so much quality there and then seeing like a, a Jack Handy sketch, which just is another move, not like better or worse, just like so smart and twisty. And you go, what is he talking about? And right. he was like a mad scientist. He'd go in there and, and no one would bump with it. You're not going to bump he had with this, the buggy he sketch. He had this idea once. And to me, it was always the simplicity of the idea that would make me think, why didn't I think of that? But mm -hmm. it's but his ideas were so elegant and so different. I actually got to be in this sketch. I'm there in the background, and you can if you blink, you'll miss mm -hmm. me. But it's James Bond's. You know, he, James Bond always makes his way to the doctor. You know, whatever doctor oh, knows. James, yeah, it's a lair. He, it's a lair. Yeah, he yeah. always gets to the lair and shows yeah. up, and the lair is always the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And the mm -hmm. guy is like, welcome, Mr. Bond. Well, this is James Bond shows up at the lair. Yeah. <laughs> but the lair still has three months to go before they're done working on it. Construction crews. Yeah. And so there's a lot of construction <laughs> going on. And, and uh, so Dr. Mm -hmm. No is really pissed because he's like, Mr. Bond, you, we're not done yet. And he was like, well, so sorry, Blofeld, or whatever, you know, whatever the evil guy's name is. So sorry, Blofeld. Uh, sorry to crash your pardon. He goes, well, well, let me show you. Now, Mr. Bond, uh, if you were to be here four months from now, I'd have led you over to this. This is going to be a tank with sharks. Now, right now, they're still <laughs> setting the forms. The cement's coming in a week, and everything was, and over here, there's going to be a laser, and yeah. Bond's, bond, bond's, <laughs> yeah. giving, Trying bond's to scare giving him shit, and, uh, and, I was, and I thought, oh my God, of course, these layers have to be built, and Bond is always showing up six months after it's been finished, and it looks fantastic. It's working of perfectly. Of course. He would show up while they're halfway through, <laughs> Did, and it was great. It was great. You guys obviously like his runners that were big were frozen, uh, frozen caveman lawyer with Phil. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Toots oh is the cat. The, one of the weirder ones I remember. Toots Maybe you remember yeah. it, but it was something about people talking to aliens, and they were high up on this thing, and somehow the aliens only wanted to talk about box office receipts of current movies. <laughs> and it went on and on. Sounds the one that I had that. with Christopher Walken that Jack, I believe it was Jack Handy wrote, is we're, we're landing on Earth, and they are, every time the landing gear would come down, it would like kill a farmer or something. So we, we would come out and we'd be like, we, we come in peace, you know? And they'd be like, killers, killers. And then Walken would always go, let's get out of here. And then we'd go back and, and then we would land again. It would kill a farmer. We'd come out, yeah, let's get out of here. You couldn't catch and a then break. suddenly Chris and I are in this little tight wooden structure like a spacecraft. His, his face is an inch from my face just crying with laughter from, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> uh, Can't, no. Okay. The, uh, the, That's all I got. 
that no, no what I would my question would be um and you guys could answer this better than I could which is why I'm asking you which hosts when you were there really made an impression on you either positively or negatively because it's such a strange thing that someone's introduced to your life they show up on Monday night and by the time you get to the show party on Saturday you've been through this intense experience with them and then they yeah. get spit out and yeah with hosts like you know, with 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 a host like an Alec Baldwin or a Tom Hanks or a Christopher Walken, you know they're coming back in a year. But so often you never see that person again. You know what I mean? Yeah, Steve yeah. Gutenberg. You know, I remember he had a good show, but I don't think yeah. he ever came back. I do think that the athletes, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, were big, yes. and the older movie stars. For me, this is back in. First season, I think it was a Jack Handy sketch. Robert Mitchum and I were in a sketch together, Oof. and neither of us knew what the sketch was about. We were beekeepers or something. So, uh, just being and Charlton Heston. I mean, those were the more surreal ones. Well, also, yeah. I mean, the, the to me, and this was true when I was doing the late night show. Anytime I got to interact with someone who had been on TV or the movies when I was a kid, yeah, that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. So. If you know, totally. Uh, you know, I I, uh, I remember in the hallway chatting with Mickey Rooney, and <laughs> uh, and Mickey Rooney. There was a there was a garment rack there, you know, that you can hang. And Mickey Rooney was very short, and he jumped up while he was talking to me, and grabbed <laughs> the bars of the garment rack and started doing chin ups really? as he was talking to me, and then Hilarious. swinging kind of like a monkey. And I was, and he's like, you know, and, and, and I, I remember telling my dad, yeah, I hung out today with Mickey Rooney and my dad couldn't process it because yeah. my dad was born in 1929. So and Mickey and was 19, huge when he was 10 then. Yes. Yeah. Biggest star yeah, in the world. So when Mickey, when, when my dad's 11, the biggest name in the world is Mickey is Mickey Rooney? Like, yes. Uh, and yeah. and there's no bigger star in the world as he likes so telling I, us. <laughs> so when I call my dad, and to that, oh yeah, I was hanging out with him, and but then I had to tell him, Mickey, I got to go. We got to start the show, and so I blew him off. <laughs> he just couldn't. He couldn't comprehend why would Mickey Rooney talk to you? Well, you know, and I so, have the same uh, thing. But go ahead, finish that. No, thought. no, no, no. That, that it, it's it's me throwing it to you guys saying. You guys got to meet and work with these people more closely than I did. I was a writer. Cohen and I have one too, where uh, you you were there. Uh, one of my rock stars was uh, of my life was Bowie, yep. and then you know yeah. he was music with Tin Machine. Yep. And I told Dana, you, you, but you were there during I, my yeah. first receptionist was a sketch I couldn't get on, and then we asked, we sent it to Bowie to be himself and come in and then i don't know who he is whatever the hilarious jokes are and and then we sent it to him at a boston hotel and then he they marcy goes uh bo he called david bowie he's looking for you i go call david yeah, bowie. right yeah. right right <laughs> you know those yes. kind of things i think it was on a yellow piece of paper and it was in my box when i walked into work and you pull it out it says david bowie here's his fake name the nbc you know that stuff you get when you get messages right. and i I was so sick, nervous, and I called him, and he picked up, gave the fake name, then he picked up, and then he's like, oh, this is the funniest sketch. I'd love to be in it. I go, thanks. He goes, but can I play your part? Oh. 
And I go, oh, the receptionist? He goes, that's the funny part. Well, I mean, me playing myself is boring. I mean, you could play me and I'll play you, mm-hmm. your part. And I go, I don't think I can do that. It was so weird. Oh, so you had and to say he, no. Yeah, and then he was weird about it. And then he didn't like it. He goes, all right, well, I'll see you at the show. Wow. And I go, and he hung up. And then, it, like you were saying just about that week, first I get to meet an idol. I don't think I knew him. Maybe I knew him. I met him once or twice before. That. And, then I, and then I come back and now here the good nights. I see him and I know there was some friction. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't. Now I met Bowie and there's friction. Some stormy past. So then when he leaves good nights, he goes, hey, I saw, I didn't really get what was going on. That's like a running sketch. And you know, I, I'm sorry. I oh, that's said nice that, that he kinda... said that. I'm glad. Yes. Because my experiences with him were that he was such a gentleman. And so, del- oh, he, yeah. and so yeah. I get that he didn't know that it was a runner, that you can't, it, yeah. you can't, you can't call Dana, you know, and say, I'll do George Bush and, 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 Garth. and, and Can I do you Garth be the guy <laughs> who comes into the room with the sandwich. Uh, right. And it was one of those lessons of like, first of all, don't give a host nothing. You know, there was things, you know, they'd say, what does the host do in this? And, you know, you got to give them something to do. They don't, they don't, they won't pick the sketch if it's all you and they don't do anything, right. you know, that right. kind of thing. So that was a classic example. He just goes, that's not fun for me. And I got it. It was all selfish. I wanted him to be my sketch and I wanted to. You ever you have regret or things you say and it would bother you for a while and then later on you realize it was nothing because when Sting was on the show, we were coming down the elevator at the end of the show and I I got I was hyped up because it was Sting and I I we came out and there were all the people waiting at the bottom of the elevator like a big mob, yeah. so I put my stoop I put my arm around Sting and said, ladies and gentlemen, Sting. And then he grabbed me and kind of went, <laughs> you know, with, with anger. So for years, I thought he was mad at me, you know, until I ran into him later. You know, it, it would go through my head sometime. The only other funny moment, well, go ahead, comment on that. <laughs> did you ever have, oh, did you ever that, have your that, moment? Was he thinking a, you were, he didn't want to bring no, it up? No, I was like, just, he's getting it was obnoxious. Just, I think it was obnoxious. You know, you're just, you get nervous around famous people and you can say or do stupid yeah. things, Conan. Uh, Yeah, I I definitely But the thing is That's in your head And you're talking about it All these years later And Sting forgot about it Seconds after it happened And I've had um, After all those years Of doing the late night shows uh, Interview regret I've had No, I've had people come up to me And say, hey, I owe you an apology And then they'll apologize And I They'll say, you know I, I wasn't really prepared Or I had a little too much to drink before I came on, and I know it was. It, it was like, and they'll say like, "I know you are really mad," and I. <laughs> I know you're so I, mad about that. And I'll think that. I don't. A, I don't have any memory of it, and I don't think no. I, you're. <laughs> I, I. I'm not mad at you, and I haven't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've had and that. So, yeah. and then they're really relieved. They're they're like, oh my god, but then also probably possibly insulted. Like <laughs> they carried it around in pain for decades, and you're like, it never happened. The story meant nothing to All you. All that yeah. suffering. Well, yeah. we've had therapy now, so we know that we're wounded clowns in some level. Uh, <laughs> <There's> yeah, a- <laughs> sure. Conan's nah, not. I'm not Conan buying that. I'm not. I'm, I, I chose that moment to look out the window. Yeah, you I'm really looking did. At, I'm looking at one. Sandler's home right now. Beautiful. Hey, Apple, beep, beep. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I. Um, it's always well, fun. I, it, <laughs> if you're a sensitive instrument, which is a good thing to be, if you're a performer, or an actor, or a comedian, and then it, it infiltrates I'm your normal life, and you process people. But everyone's 
Okay, okay. well, here's a thing that I think uh, you could both relate to, which is people, their assumption would be that and uh, if we make fun of somebody or we tell a joke at someone's expense, that we don't really care how they feel. Mm-hmm. And the truth is- Or we don't like yeah, those and the Yeah, and the truth is, you know, with- Yes, there are people you can tell a joke about who you really despise, who are awful people, or impressions you can do of someone. But for the most part, and I think this includes both of you, I think most people would be surprised at how much we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And that when you hear back from somebody, like I know there was pressure on you, uh, Dana, because you did such a great Johnny Carson impression and people would think like, oh, you're killing with your Johnny Carson impression because it was so perfect. Mm-hmm. But you're you're hyper worried the whole time that it might upset Johnny or feel yeah. unflattering to him, right? Well, it, and it and it did, and it felt bad because I when I did it and when I sat in that character, and it's been reinforced by Tom Hanks and Martin Short on this podcast. Like that was the most comfortable I'd been doing a sketch on that show. I didn't care if it got laughs. I was so comfortable being that, the charming Johnny. So the gentleman joins us for what you, you folks are home or watching a television. Right. So I, he was fine for a while <laughs> and I would still be on his highlight reel and I would see Johnny. And then there was one that offended him and then I never went on the show the last two years. I was, so I knew that I was out and it was, um, that was shadow ban. That was really, really uh, unfortunate. I didn't like that. And uh, and someone told me that he would walk down the hall at NBC in Burbank and say, "They're making fun of me now. It's time to go." Just yeah. yell it out. So well, also uh, felt bad about I think that. I felt a. I heard a. This was from um, the great Rick Ludwin, a uh, terrific executive who yeah. NBC. NBC executive who loved uh, you know. Loved SNL, loved Late Night. That was mm-hmm. what he was in charge of, and 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 Very nice. really good guy, yeah. and um, and also the person who pretty much was responsible for keeping Seinfeld on the air uh, when it was in trouble in mm-hmm. its first season or two. And so, lovely guy who passed away about two two years ago or three years ago. And um, anyway, I bring him up because he used to also work the Carson show, and he remembers having to go and tell Johnny, go into Johnny's dressing room and tell him, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, uh, I talked to you about, okay, you know, well, there's just going to be a sketch at Starn Out Live and I do need to give you a heads up that, oh. and that he would have to tell him and that, and, that, and that Johnny would say, well, I, you know, don't particularly think it's funny, but that's their right. They're, that's, that's their right to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he... You know, it's so funny because you forget, because we think of him as just being on top of the world from 1962 to, to uh, what was it, 1991. 92. He's just yeah. on top of the world. Yeah. And what we forget, 92, what we forget is that he's constantly, um, like any comedian or any star, yeah. Oh yeah. he's constantly afraid and on alert that that they're they're coming after me now. And so I read I read this interview with Johnny Carson from 1980. Mm-hmm. And it was in Rolling Stone magazine and he's talking about the interviewer keeps saying, "Well, what do you think of Belushi and what do you think of Ackroyd?" and what keeps asking about Saturday Night Live. 
and and what did you think of Animal House? And what did you think of you know Chevy? Ch- you know, and and Johnny, you realize has been hearing from a lot of young people or whatever that that's what's the cool thing now. And he mm-hmm. was the cool thing from '62 to up yeah. to '75. And not that he still wasn't great and revered, but I thought, wait, in 1980, he's worried about. He's he, and he's taken a couple of shots at SNL, you know, and how he yeah. thinks that the humor really he doesn't he thinks it's uh, it's a li- kind of obnoxious and and he doesn't quite see it and uh, he's it's not his favorite thing and then you realize that okay then eight years later or ten years later the show is D- directly yeah going directly after. kind of having fun at his expense I mean I I didn't think of it. I just always thought of at that time, Johnny Carson is so secure. What does he care? You know what I mean? And it's just funny and silly. And your impression was, I thought, I thought affectionate. You know, I I thought you, you loved, you loved Johnny. I love being in that. And I thought it was affectionate, but. Yeah. yeah. I I do think that in show business. But I know that there was this, there was this, there was a sketch, I think. I think uh, there was a sketch that was written that made Robert, him a little. Someone wrote a sketch senile. where John, yeah, 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 where Johnny's trying to be cool to to keep up with Arsenio and yeah. um, and and it, the toughest, the roughest part was Phil was playing the sidekick Ed McMahon, and he was saying things like he literally was chuckling and going, "Ha ha ha!" Peaked in the seventies. Old reference, and lost younger, younger reference, yeah. lost. <laughs> No, old reference lost on yeah, younger yeah. viewers. Old yeah. reference lost on younger viewers. And you think, wow, if I was, okay, if if there was a hot new sketch show now and there was a guy playing Conan and I'm just completely out of it and I'm not up on what's happening now and I'm, you know, which would, and I'm old because I've been on TV too long, uh, I would... It would hurt my... I wouldn't even come in the next day. It would would really hurt my feelings and probably be deserved on some level. So it's, 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 you can't have it both ways. But I'm interested in this idea that every performer becomes a caricature of themselves. And you can look at someone sometime and just think, is that that person or is that a celebrity impressionist doing that person? And it happens to everyone and you have to keep a sense of humor about it. Well, you're so self-deprecating. You're always ahead of the... the, Well, no, but, but... I think that it's one of the things the three of us have a pretty good vantage point on, which is we've been at all the different stages. And then what you want to, what I always wanted to be at the stage I'm at now is be gracious about and, and kind of intrigued and curious about the young people coming up because, um, I'm five seconds away from someone ripping me a new asshole for being too old. So just try and and be gracious about all of it. I remember Sammy Davis Jr. on television out of the blue going, I'm not going to be competitive with Michael Jackson anymore. You know, and he was like almost 60. Oh, Sammy, Sammy Davis. Davis. Yeah. yeah. But I had a good time with Conan. He, and Thank Conan, you, Conan. You've been a really great guest. Guys, I love talking to you. I look forward to us uh, getting a meal. Yes. Uh, that would be really nice. That would be fun. 
Yeah. Let's do we it. don't need we don't we need Sarandos this time. We don't need a Netflix guy. Oh, no, he was he fun, was fine, but, you but, know, he was just padding. Yeah, we move you know, on we, now. We move on. It's just the, it's just the three of us next time. That's it. No, we had a blast, Perfect. but we could do it with us and um we'll fight to see who pays. It won't be me. Okay, thanks Colin. Okay, I uh, I do love you guys and thank you for love having you, me on. It's nice to have Let's to have dinner soon. It, bud. Goodbye. Check in next week where our guest will be Tom Hanks. Fly on the Wall has been a presentation of Cadence 13. Please listen, then rate, review, and follow all episodes. Executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment. Production and engineering led by Greg Holtzman, Richard Cook, Serena Regan, and Chris Basil of Cadence 13. 